despite an increased focus on diversity, equity and inclusion in corporations worldwide, we see little improvement in the day-to-day experiences of women. When it comes to women of color, they seem to face similar types and a high frequency of microaggressions as they did years ago. They seem far more likely to be on the receiving end of disrespectful and exclusionary behavior. While there are more people who are coming forward as their allies, it seems when it comes to the crunch, it is observed that they are less likely to speak out against discrimination and the so-called othering that happens to women of color at our workplaces. The problem is compounded when that woman happens to be a black woman and to that when they happen to be migrants. Despite bringing humility, hard work, intellect and high level of competency to the job, they still face an uphill battle to level up and reach positions in organizations that they are deserving of. Hello and welcome to another episode of the TCD Live Weekend Lounge. I'm your host Sri Kumar with co-host Nin bringing to you the critical dialogue on workplace harassment and bullying. On our show today, we have a true woman of substance who has endured harassment and bullying of the worst kind and managed to not just overcome the pain but set herself on a path of success with sheer grit, determination and show of resilience. Let me welcome Oluba Femi aka Femi Omatola, our guest on today's show. Femi is the CEO, owner and lead HR consultant of Shalom Shalom Consulting Inc. based out of Canada. Her main focus is to help managers and executives of small and medium-sized businesses improve their bottom line by boosting employee engagement. She does this through her proprietary training program called Respect in the Workplace. She also assists her clients in facilitating other bespoke training programs including but not limited to workplace harassment and discrimination, self-perception and minority women, diversity and inclusion, and leadership to name a few. Other services include on-demand and or infrequent HR support, conducting exit interviews, employee onboarding, employee handbook, executive placement and conflict resolution. For a period of spanning 20 years, Femi has worked in the field of human resources in West Africa, Toronto, Ontario, culminating in her role as Divisional HR Advisor for the Divisional Headquarters of the Salvation Army in Edmonton, Alberta. Welcome once again to the show, Femi. Let me start off by asking you to tell us something about your journey reaching your host country as a migrant and your first encounter with harassment and bullying. How did it all start?
I had a, I had a spring in my walk. I was extremely confident because I was actually next to the HR head in the organization I worked, the oil company that I worked back in Nigeria. I was actually next to the head of HR. So I was very confident. And um, that was how I came into Canada, a very confident lady. And the first thing that hit me was, okay, my skin is black. I never thought about that before when I was back home because everybody's the same, the same complexion, basically. And I started to apply for jobs, you know. I applied and applied for jobs, jobs that entry-level jobs, middle, you know, I just kept on applying and sending out those applications, sending out those resumes. Of course, I had visited a lot of workshops because the way we do our resumes here is kind of different from how it is back home. So I had attended all the workshops. I had sought all the advice I could seek from the right quarters, but nothing was happening. So for the first 16 months, in this country called this lovely country that I love so much called Canada. I was job hunting and my husband was also job hunting and we had three children. We made up our minds. We were not going to go on welfare. So we just kept job hunting. And then somebody said to us, why don't you guys go back to school? I really hated that because I mean, I said, I, I have two master's degrees and I don't know if people out there are familiar with the immigration process. What happens is we have a principal applicant. So I was the principal applicant. And um, I felt that since we came through the highly skilled program, I was regarded as skilled. My credentials had been evaluated by the World Education Services and had been determined to be equivalents of Canadian degrees in the same disciplines. So you can understand why I was so confident coming into this country. But then when the job search started, my perception of myself, my self-perception started to take a nose dive. I started asking myself what I was doing wrong. But then somebody said, go back to school. I went back to school very reluctantly, but I didn't mind initially because I was meeting with people. I knew that I was learning the law, so I didn't mind. It was helping me to settle in my new country and all that, but the job was not coming. So when I finally got my foot in the door with an HR job, you can imagine I was, I was so glad that I got that job and I felt that I was going to hold on to it with the tenacity of a bulldog. So I got into the job, I started, the job from the first day I started the job. Somebody that wasn't my boss, but my colleague was extremely hostile. She didn't even hide it. She didn't hide the fact that she didn't want me there. She didn't want to work with me. So she would withhold information. She, would, she wouldn't even talk to me. And we were only two in HR. We were, we were two HR generalists and we had a manager we were both reporting to. And this lady will not talk to me. She will withhold information. She will, when I ask her, she will snap. And I really didn't understand what I had done wrong. So I started to look at myself. I started to wonder what it was that had gotten her so angry with me. 
she kept the that was my first experience of harassment she would enjoy seeing me slip trip and fall over some things and i just didn't understand why she was behaving that way and i started to ask myself if i was the problem but then after a while i noticed that people were avoiding her in the office they won't go to her they will come to me and that even made my problems worse because she felt that i was taking the shine off her and i couldn't i, I just didn't understand it. our personalities were so different i was there bubbly you know you know i love to laugh i love to relax at work i work hard but then i love to make people relax at work so i'm a people person and she was the exact opposite unfortunately for her her office was closer to the stairwell you know and mine was down the hallway but people would sneak past her office and come to me and that just make everything worse so she just kept on harassing and harassing so that was like my baptism of fire in the field of harassment and i wish i could say that was the only time but it wasn't <laughs> So, I think I think Femi, we all uh, can some at some level relate to it. I'm an immigrant as well. So when I came, I was uh, you know like doing really well. I was leading the organization back in my home country. When I came here, I still had that um, leading position in the company because it was an internal transfer. But I could feel uh, you know the resistance coming from everywhere in accepting uh, me as leading a project or uh, something. So that is uh, very relatable. And I think uh, many of our um, uh, immigrants, young girl, young women, and men who come here, they have to go even in this part of the world in U.S. They have to go. Through this education process where the degrees are not recognized and um, so that's one thing that needs a different a whole lot of uh, attention from uh, the government as well and the agent and uh, but their work experience should be considered you know because if they are leading an organization for a number of years it's a huge thing so it just can't be thrown in the dustbin that just because they didn't serve in us or in canada wherever in other country they served it is of no worth so that is something that needs attention for sure we all have sure. been uh, through that phase at some point or the other yeah. but coming to your um, interaction with your colleague that is uh, alarming, really. I mean, uh, we would love to know how you managed to, you know, spend your time there under those conditions when your colleague or, you know, you're the person that has a role in your organization is playing kind of dirty in their workplace. Hey, uh, but before we, uh, so I keep switching here because I, I was very curious, even before we dive into the workplace, we all have been uh, hearing this work from home challenges as well. So for a working woman and a woman who is facing uh, bullying and harassment at work. So I was very uh, uh, curious to know the effect of that, especially for a working woman back in their family, their friends, how did it affect the family? Because I hear that that has been also a a huge problem nowadays you know and plus you know add on to the uh, 
uh, bullying, but the work from home context after the COVID, so last one year. Hmm. Oh my goodness. Okay, then there was no work from home, so I was, I was always uptight, always uptight, and after a while, I found myself lashing out at my 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 husband. I was lashing out at him, lashing out at the children. You know, because I had this pent-up frustration and I needed an avenue to express it. And I couldn't express it in the office. And to even make matters worse, the director, the corporate director, director of corporate affairs or whatever her designation was at that time, she was also a, a person of color. She came to me and she said, Femi, I know you're going through this. I know, please hang in there. I think she could sense that I was getting really agitated and frustrated. So she came to me and she said, please hang in there. This lady has some, some um, mental issues. She's going through a divorce. But I kept asking myself, why should I be the one to bear the brunt of all that? You know, so I was taking everything out on my family. And then I had to start speaking to myself because I realized that I wasn't able to lash out to her because like I told you, it had taken me 16 months to get this job. And I really wasn't ready to give it up just like that. But it was so difficult for me. I felt as if I was swimming against the tide. But, you know, after a while, I used to have palpitations just thinking of going to work because she was just so nasty and she didn't hide it. You know, so what, what the way I, the outlet I had was bring it back home and then just unleash it from the time I got into the house till the following morning. The only time I spared my husband was when my eyes were closed. I would talk about her, talk about her from the time I got home till the following morning when I'm leaving for work. I'm still talking about this lady. And you know, he would just, he couldn't understand because he wasn't facing that kind. He's never gone through this kind of thing. So, but he will always listen. So I had that outlet. And my heart goes out to people that go through the same thing, but don't have anybody to talk to. So I was talking to him. In fact, I was talking at him. I didn't even care if he, if he listened or I was just dumping everything on him. I'm like, this is what she did today. And then my children, the same thing. And I can imagine somebody in this scenario, working from home, going through that because cyberbullying still happens, you know? It's kind of, you'll find yourself in a kind of bind because you're talking to a screen most of the time, you don't know who to confide in. And that is an issue that a lot of people that go through harassment and bullying, they don't know who to confide in. They don't want to lose their jobs. They need to put food on the table. So when they think about everything, they're like, okay, let me just stick through it. But they don't know that it's taken a toll on their mental health. So sometimes I ask people, take a step back and ask yourself, is it really worth it to go through all that because you want to put food on the table? In the long run, will you be able to mend your mental health? Will you be able to mend that damage? Because in the, in the workplace, we talk about WCB, we talk about workplace injuries, but because this one is psychological, you cannot see it. You don't pay as much attention to it as you would pay to a physical injury. So most of the time, it's kind of overlooked. And that's the danger. Yeah. So. so in fact, uh, I think uh, 
so one is uh, with regards to your partner but you know children children have been also really uh, taking the brunt of this kind of uh, venting out and we do not know the kind of damage we end up doing and uh, that's one thing which probably uh, maybe did your children uh, face that in fact <laughs> so yes so, they yeah. did and they were they were a lot younger then so they didn't understand why mommy was always angry mommy was always angry you know and it, it just there was a stark contrast between who i was prior to when i started working they thought things would be better because mommy had finally found a job but then this mommy that they started to see was kind of different from the mommy they knew before you know they were much younger now they understand more because they're much older but they were so young i think the oldest then was probably about 8 or 9 and the other two were of course below that so they just didn't understand so after a while i had to speak to myself and i said oh my goodness what am i turning myself into you know so i had to make a conscious effort you have to be intentional about separating the office whatever you go through in the office from the home it's so important to do that it has to be an intentional step you have to speak to yourself and say no you have to draw that line there has to be a demarcation yeah but uh, do you think that uh, you know so it's all fine when we say that we have to talk to ourselves but then uh, what kind of uh, support would be required and what is missing when we talk about in even workplace and for families because we need to sensitize both sides mm. to uh, you know most of the time i find that uh, people who are part of the problem or who can actually contribute to you know uh, uh, help people to overcome it they are not truly sensitized we talk right. about it but uh, do you think uh, that matters and what can be done there both sides uh, need to be sensitized is what i thought always uh, and not left to the person who is suffering because uh, the fact that the person is suffering she may not even know in fact so before it is too late and it takes a toll on their mental health so what yeah. can the uh, support groups Uh, who are around uh, working women especially uh, be sensitive to and what are those signals which you feel they should be sensitized to that you know things are not fine with the person and something is happening okay so sometimes people react people's bodies react differently so for me i wasn't sleeping well so when you notice you're not sleeping well when you notice that little things begin to irritate you when you notice that for some reason you just feel this discomfort when you notice that you feel that you are walking on eggshells in the office those are warning signs when you notice that you are afraid suddenly you are afraid to speak up you don't want to express your opinion and you know we have this what we call this employee assistance programs in place in organizations but i was so reluctant to even venture into that using that that tool because i felt that it was going to get back to the office for some reason i think a lot of people are like that as well they don't want to 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 make use of the employee assistance program 
because they feel okay the uh, office is going to get a feedback from them and they're going to know they're complaining about them and you know so people tend to hold back but those warning signs should not be ignored when you find out that you're 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 finding it difficult to sleep when you find out that it's even affecting your eating habits when you find out that you've lost your joy when you find out that you're trading on eggshells in the office when you find out that you're just not comfortable because most of the time the atmosphere is so toxic you could cut the toxic toxicity with a knife you are you know the, it's palpable you can feel it because when i was going through this with this lady if two of us are in a room maybe working on something and somebody comes in you could actually feel the atmosphere the stress in the atmosphere it was palpable you know so when you Sometimes it's not easy to recognize because you just think, okay, maybe I'm not. Then you start having some, I started having headaches. I started having all kinds of um, stomach ulcers, conditions that I had never experienced before. I started having all kinds of health issues. Initially, I didn't tie it to what was going on in the office. But actually, I went to see a doctor. And within two minutes, he stopped me. I, I was telling him about the complaint. He said, how is, what's happening at work? And I was like, how did he know, you know? So I had to let him know what was happening at work. And he said, you're so stressed out. Do you want me to, to give you some time off? But then I didn't want some time off because I thought that if I had some time off, I would lose my job. So I just kept going. You know, it's like running on an empty tank. I just kept going and going and going until I got to a point where I, I really couldn't take it anymore. So uh, you say that, you know, it's so difficult to go back to these employee assistance, uh, you know, teams and support groups. And uh, why do people find it difficult? In fact, uh, there are uh, the support programs which are existent in the office. And but we hear these stories of workplace harassment and bullying on a regular basis. And people are actually seeking solace outside of it. In fact, I have uh, recently read a report that someone actually uh, took to drugs and uh, to relieve uh, all the stress which was happening at work and uh, even died, you know, because of overindulgence. So what is that uh, block which actually comes in? And it's so important that uh, we need to raise a voice. Definitely, we need to take it to organizations. And that's the whole purpose here. You know, when we talk about workplace harassment and bullying, uh, right. Uh, the, the whole idea with which I was looking at is not just about talking about our stories and complaining about it, but what can we actually suggest? Why do people resist? And because you've been uh, on the HR side of the uh, organization, so you understand human resource issues uh, as an insider being there. So what stops people and what can organizations do? I just wanted your perspective there. Yeah, so um, it's really interesting that in most organizations, we have policies, policies, flowery policies. We have zero tolerance against harassment, zero tolerance against bullying, but they drop the ball in implementation. A lot of people don't come forward because of fear of reprisal even though we've embedded within the policy 
they're like, there's no fear of reprisal. Come forward with your situation. Come forward with your problem. Sometimes they say the, the harasser is the boss. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a different person. But because of that fear of reprisal, nobody wants to come forward. So I had a lot of people that would call me and say, Femi, I need to talk to you about a situation. And I'm like, okay, go ahead. They tell me the situation and I'm like, do you want me to document it? Because we have this process in place. Would you have me document it? And they're like, no, 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 please don't document it. I just wanted to tell you, I just wanted to talk to somebody. And I'm like, why? And it happened in almost everywhere I worked. You have people that are petrified because they don't want to lose their jobs. Hardly will you see somebody that has brought a case forward and hasn't had, hasn't regretted it in short. That's just, that's just it. Yeah, People don't I want think, to regret. I think Femi and, yeah, I think Femi, I'll take it up from here and I fully agree that there's a trust issue. See, yeah. when people, even if you have those employee assistant programs, you mm. are, which in some way or the other are with um, the HR. And people don't trust HR on this because HR is finally or the ultimately they are reporting into the company, the, the CEO or the organization, and they have a different agenda. So if you are, you can write uh, fancy policies, but what is uh, the freedom or the flexibility or the power or the authority that HR has, that is important and people don't see it where there is no uh, transparency where people see that you know even at some point the hr will be sidelined because the decision can go against them or right. they can be like targeted that's the reason and it happens so uh, a lot depends on the company's culture as well that you can write fancy policies but what mm -hmm. are you doing to kind of implement it like we all say that if you know but in uh, my home country it's like you know women can study women women write are there but the culture doesn't support it right. and that's what people see and that is why the results are zero i mean no matter how much uh, you know the uh, people are saying that their country is like uh, looking forward for women to step up and do big things etc etc but the culture is not supporting so same goes with um this point which Shiri raised and you also um, you know pointed out that the people uh, if somebody is going through bullying and harassment even if hr has those uh, small uh, areas like which you call employee assistance programs or uh, employee resource groups where people can sit in and talk they will not go and do it officially and document it because they know that there will be no transparency in the process yeah 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 that's that's just it even employee surveys sometimes even when you say the employee survey is anonymous people are still reluctant because there really is a trust issue. And I, and I keep asking myself, what can we do about this? Because what I tell people is, you need to find someone you can talk to, somebody you can trust, because bottling it down is not going to help you. Find somebody you can trust and then make sure you're documented. Document your, whatever it is that you're going through because you never know when you're going to have to refer to those notes. You know, so 
I always, I, I challenge, I want to challenge organizations and tell them it's okay to have those policies, but how do you implement? It's like having a vaccine without a vaccination. The vaccine mm -hmm. is there, but it's no use until it becomes a vaccination in your arm. Until it gets into your arm, it's no use. It's like having a treadmill and looking at the treadmill and not getting on the treadmill. Do you understand what I'm saying? So yeah. you have those policies in place, but you need to, we need to let organizations know it's not enough to just have those policies in place. How do you implement? Why do True. you drop the ball during implementation? Why is it that the culture of most organizations is such that employees are petrified of coming forward? So, Why? So what In I hear most organizations, you say, that's the case. Yeah. So what I hear you say is that uh, while policies exist, it is the implementation which is the. Yeah. Uh, so that's a very nice analogy you gave about vaccine and vaccination, and <laughs> that's. So I, I would relate to it so well. And uh, in fact, yeah, when we talk about. Um, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, in organizations, especially. So, like, uh, did you have any experiences of, uh, you know, sensing exclusion? You know, uh, especially that is one of the signs which people talk about that you uh, feel excluded. Uh, did you face that kind of a scenario as well? Oh, for sure, for sure. So many times, you know, when you know you're supposed to be part of a meeting mm -hmm. and you are excluded, you're not even invited to the meeting. Or even when you're invited, um, you're not permitted to speak. So, to, you know, you, you have to be given a platform to speak. So it's a different thing being invited to the party and it's a different thing being invited to dance. So sometimes you do get that seat at the table but you're not allowed to speak. You're not given the empowerment to speak. You know, so what I experienced, I experienced a lot of social ostracization. Sometimes they're having meetings. I know I'm supposed to be a part of that meeting. I don't even know when the meeting occurred. Or sometimes you're, you're thinking of tweaking a policy and no inputs. I'm not allowed to give the inputs. Or sometimes, even when I'm invited to the table, like I said, it's just like, it's, it's tokenism, just to make me feel that, okay, I'm invited. But if you invite me to the table and I'm not given the platform to speak, what's the point of being there? Or if I, if I give a suggestion, or sometimes what, what, something else that happens is maybe my, my manager will have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with me and say, okay, we are thinking of doing this. And then I make suggestions. And then those suggestions are presented as somebody else's. No credit whatsoever is given to me. Nothing whatsoever. You know, so you're, you're excluded not only when, not only at the point at which decisions are being made, but you are also excluded when the credit is supposed to be given to you. So you're suffering on both ends of the, of the spectrum. You're excluded when you're supposed to attend a meeting to make your voice heard, to make your opinion known. And then even when it happens and you express your opinion, maybe one-on-one -on -one with somebody else, 
the credit is given to someone else. So you are facing that exclusion. It's like, you're not really part of the tribe. You're not part of the team. You're not welcome here. They make you feel unwelcome and it's palpable because you feel it or you, 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 you stumble on a meeting that you're probably supposed to be a part of and you're like, oh, okay. And then you, you back out and you're like, you get all those daggers at you when you get into the room, you know? So it's really difficult. It's a difficult place to be when you find yourself in a situation where you're just not wanted. And at the same time, you feel like Cinderella. You're doing all the hard work. You have the Cinderella of the office. When it comes to all the hard work, you are doing it, but you're permanently in the kitchen like Cinderella. You're not visible. Your voice is not heard. Your voice is not wanted. Your opinion does not matter. Your opinion only matters when they want to pick your brain. They pick your brain and then the credit is given to somebody else. So this happens a lot to women of color. That's- uh, And probably men too, I guess. Yes, absolutely. In fact, uh, one thing which uh, I think Zareen was also asking and I, it was running in my mind is that uh, probably it has to do with, uh, you know, what's the kind of mindset right at the top in organizations. In fact, I, I just had a conversation today with one of my uh, lady friends and client contact and who had quit because of uh, workplace harassment and bullying and so on and had to take a one year break just to get over the kind of issues uh, which she had to deal with. She had um, uh, a family to take care. She had her career and you know she had to put food on the table and she was sharing that. And it was terrible um, that uh, her boss, that is the, uh, the head of the organization used to make these statements that he normally doesn't prefer to work with women. And uh, because he has to meet the numbers of diversity, which the organization and the uh, norms demand and the board say that, okay, diversity, so you are here. And that probably uh, uh, was insulting for her as well, you know? So uh, do you think that that has got to do with this, you know, people not being able to overcome these issues? Because we've been talking about diversity, equity, inclusion for a long time now. It's not just the last one year of pandemic. But what has the top management got to do here? Because that's where probably I would like you to throw some light on in terms of the impact they can have. Did you have any kind of uh, right. challenges faced with the top management not being in support of the kind of uh, things which you were going through? Yeah, you see, it really has to stop, start from the top. If those below the top management see that top management is genuinely interested, if we start to evaluate people based on values, the values of the organization, there will be a change. But guess what happens? Most of the time, top management looks away. As long as they feel that person is delivering, sometimes they don't want to have anything to do with it. In one of the organizations I worked, I was the only person of color in the whole block, the only person of color. And I was given this flowery title, but no empowerment. 
So I was there like a token. I was there like, okay, see, we are not, um, we are not discriminatory. See this person, this person of color is holding this position. But I, but I couldn't take any decisions on my own. And that's even more frustrating when you're given this flowery, lovely, big title and no empowerment because I had to, I was micromanaged because I had to, okay. One of the companies I worked, I, the director of HR left. So I was acting in that position for a period of, I think probably about six to nine months. So you would think that the company had the, com the confidence that I was able to handle that position, right? But that wasn't the case. They hired somebody else from Ontario to come and fill in the position of the director at the time they wanted to fill the position. I was acting in that role for between six to nine months. So it was okay if I was the Cinderella while they were getting the princess ready to fill, fill, fill in that role, right? So I said, that, you know, sometimes you find yourself asking yourself questions. I was acting in that capacity for six to nine months. You never had any complaints. Nobody complained about anything. But when it was time to actually fill that role up, top management felt it was better to go find somebody of their tribe to fill in that position. Meanwhile, I had been taking all the decisions before this baby came. And then all of a sudden I had to start reporting to her. I had to start checking in with her for almost every single thing. That was so frustrating. So what am I trying to say? Top management was aware of what was happening. But most of the time, they just look away. You see, integrity is not just on paper. Integrity is when you take decisions that are not convenient even for your own self. You take some decisions as a leader, sometimes that are unpalatable for even yourself. But you take that because you do, you do what is right, regardless. But a lot of top management people that I have seen, they either pretend they don't know it exists or they decide to look away. They decide that, okay, I'd rather have this person there than this person. I'd rather forgo this person than keep this person on the road. You know, those guys, I don't know how they think because once you reflect that attitude on top, there's a way it comes down, it waters down. It comes down to the ground and then if your, your company culture or organization, or you have your values, integrity, hard work, discipline, or whatever, you have all those values. And people feel, the employees feel that you're not living up to those values. What are we talking about? It has to start from the top. The leader has to demonstrate by example, walk the talk. It's not enough just to have the values, lovely values and lovely policies. What are you doing? So when, you, when the leadership starts to hold people accountable, when the leadership starts to evaluate top management on the basis of the values, then we may be, be able to see a change. But before then, I really don't see how. 
Yeah. So uh, let me let me just switch this a little because now that we have brought in the organizational perspective, of course we uh, all know that we have uh, limited control on the externals, and uh, we have to look at what we can do ourselves to make the difference. Mm -hmm. So uh, because you know what. Uh, this talk of, you know, because in my own consulting work for the last 30 years, I always found that, you know, no matter what kind of uh, thought processes go through in the employee's mind, the businesses operate in a particular level and they have a different, you've got to be lucky as well to get an organization where it actually aligns with the way you think. But uh, I think I want to actually ask you in terms of switching that attention. So, um, like last show, we were talking with Nagin, and uh, we said one thing which probably uh, individuals can do, and probably you can also throw some light on it, is to build a strong group of allies around you. You know, the allyship which we talk about. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. uh, that is something which, you know, because it's it's a network which helps you and a support group which you need to create consciously. So what is your take on that? In fact, I uh, wanted to know whether that becomes very relevant when you're fighting uh, the tough battle there. Yeah, so allyship is good. Well, you know, with allyship, just like with personal relationships, trust is key, right? So I had this ally I had this boss that was, oh my goodness. He harassed me so much that I wanted to, I really wanted to quit. He was just um, setting me up for failure. That was what he was doing. He knew I was good at the job, but for some reason he felt that I was going to take his job away from him. I don't know why he felt like that because I was so content just making him feel good. So I had this one ally senior member of uh, leadership. I, she was the person I complained to. And luckily for me, at the time I went to her, I had printed out a lot of emails. You know, that's something that people forget to do. Make sure you have documentation. So I had printed out some emails and I had printed out some text messages. So the problem with this gentleman was he began to see me as somebody that was being groomed to take over his position. He didn't know that I was so content just being his assistant, just working with him, right? So what he started to do was, because he was getting all this feedback, oh my goodness, where did you get Femi from? She's such a wonderful worker. She has such a pleasant personality. She knows her onions, you know? He didn't like it. Initially, when I first started, he used to give me the feedback. He said, this person said so much, so this glowing thing about you, this person. But when it became too much, he started to get worried. You know, so I went to this ally of mine and I explained what was happening. She was so upset. So what she did, I didn't have too many allies because I didn't know who to trust. You know, it's not, it's not easy getting people to trust. So I had this one ally. So I went to her and I told her what was going on. And she said, Femi, nobody would have ever guessed you were going through this because long before COVID, a lot of us have been wearing masks. 
we have this mask on, we, we have a mask that we don't on when we go to the office. We are all smiley and all, we try to cover up what we're going through. So I had been wearing that mask long before we started wearing the COVID mask. This lady never knew that I was going through all this. So when I showed her, she was surprised. I showed her all the emails. I showed her the text messages through which this gentleman had been harassing me. She was upset and she was, even though she was my only ally, I felt as if she was, I had 10 allies in her alone. She took it upon herself. She went to the, the HR director. It was the HR director that was harassing me. She went to his boss and she said, look, we cannot afford to lose Femi. This is what this man has been doing. She showed him all the emails and he was so sorry. He, the overall boss came to apologize to me and I didn't expect what came next. One morning, I just heard some, somebody slamming drawers and I didn't know the gentleman got fired. The man that had been harassing me, that was the first time I had ever seen that kind of thing happen. So allyship is good. I had that one ally. The quality of the ally is what matters. She took it upon herself. She said there was no way we were going to lose Femi. She went and she spoke on my behalf. And as a result of that, the gentleman that was doing what he was doing got, got fired. Ooh. That is like one case in a million. And of yeah. course, there was a, I got a backlash for that as well because there were some people that were upset that my boss was fired because of me. You know, so... <laughs> yeah, so uh, what I hear you say, Femi, also, and it, it is actually something which is underlying and uh, it's a larger topic, but people who perpetrate bullying and harassment do have their set of uh, allies in the organization who support them. It is the narcissistic uh, behavior, which we all know of. And the narcissist always has a huge fan following. And uh, so, so that becomes very difficult for the victim or uh, the, of bullying to even counter because uh, you know, a lot of people actually might, and did you face, for example, a backlash, as you said, you know, people trying to blame you or even uh, trying to portray you as uh, too touchy, sensitive, and uh, not a team player. These are the allegations, and they will fly thick and fast, you know, because within a day or two, you will realize that, uh, you know, you did the wrong thing of even uh, raising this issue because uh, uh, the whole organization, and I have found this happen many a times. And when I speak to even the you know, I've been uh, across the table with these perpetrators. And when I see the way they speak, smooth talk and, uh, you know, all of a sudden uh, you start to actually suspect whether the victim is really saying the truth. And in right. fact, to that extent, you know, so I, uh, I, what I hear you say is that, yes, there were people who actually complained and felt bad that, you know, that man was fired or whoever was the person was fired. Another interesting point which you made, and I think uh, I hear there uh, a very important uh, case here, when we said we wear masks when we go to office. 
I, I want to actually look at, are we also talking about when we have to deal with harassment and bullying, we can't anymore live in denial. I think these masks, which we wear when we go step out are a way to live in denial, you know, because we are not accepting that there is a problem and we want to expose ourselves, be vulnerable. And uh, therefore some of our near and dear family won't even realize what you're going through, like you talked about. So uh, that's a very interesting thing. Do you think that, you know, many people who are victims of uh, harassment are also living in that denial and that thing that maybe it is something wrong with me or maybe I am uh, too touchy and uh, maybe the whole world is right because, you know, you're getting all that message all the time from around you. So did you happen to face that kind of a dilemma here, you know, the dissonance which happens? Yes, because for some of the people that harassed me, what they used to do was in the presence of other people, they made the relationships seem fine and dandy. And that's so dangerous. So it's just when it's me and the other person in the room that you see their true color. Do you understand? So some of them will make sure there are no witnesses. Some harassers and bully, people that bully people, they make sure they don't, there are no witnesses. So that when push comes to shove, it will be your word against theirs. They do that. So I used to wear a mask in the sense that I worked in HR. I was supposed to be in control. I was supposed to be the, the, the custodian of all these policies, right? I was supposed to be the one portraying the organization in good light. I was supposed to walk the talk. So I didn't want to be the one to pull down what I felt that the organization was trying to portray. So for a long time, people will see me smiling and laughing. So when I actually brought those issues to the fore, people were shocked. Femi, you mean you've been going through this? That was what that my main ally said. She said, how have you been coping with this? when she saw all the emails and all the text messages. So I think like what was going through my mind then was maybe initially I was like, maybe it's me, like you said, maybe it's me, maybe I'm too sensitive. Maybe I need to change. But you know, each time I reevaluated myself, each time I took a step back, I came to the same conclusion. I said to myself, it, it's not only me because what happens with these people that harasses they don't do it to only one person. You know, you try, it's like trying to hide smoke. You can't hide smoke. After a while, it shows. So with that gentleman, he wasn't harassing only me, apparently. When the issue came up, when the investigation came up, other people started coming forward. But it took me to open that can of worms. And at the time I did it, I had already made up my mind. I said, there's no way this gentleman is going to be fired because of me. I had made up my mind I wanted to leave. So what happens with people is, yes, I believe that a lot of people wear masks. They don't want to lose their jobs. So they just pretend that everything is fine and dandy. They want to put food on the table. They have no, they don't know where else to go. 
Some people are applying and applying and trying to get another job. They haven't been able to get another job. So what do they do? They stay in that situation. It's be, they, they have to choose between a rock and a hard place. It's like, okay, if I leave this job now, my family will suffer. What's going to happen to them? I have to pay bills. What do I do? So some of them just shut themselves out. They just try and cope. They develop coping skills, which was what I had to do. So what I used to do was, you would hear me laugh. The laughter was not from here. It was just from the tip of my tongue. You hear me laugh. You hear me um, talk to people. But at the back of my mind, my, what was going on in my head and what was going on in my heart were not in alignment. I was troubled. And I feel that there are a lot of people out there that are troubled because they don't know who to talk to. Some of them don't go through this harassment. They don't have evidence because the harasser does it without um, people, without um, witnesses. And so sometimes the ha harasser makes it look as if it's job related. So they give deadlines, impossible deadlines. And the person cannot complain because they feel if they complain, it means they're not competent. You know, so that's why people shy away from bringing these issues forward. So, and there's so always that fear of reprisal. There is, oh, I have never seen a situation where you're able to iron it out, go through the process, sit in a room with the person who is harassing you and you sit down and you iron it out. That person will come back and bite you. That's what happens most of the time. That's why people are, are afraid of coming forward. They'll rather just take it. They'll rather just keep wearing their masks. Like I was wearing my mask for so long. So, so um, what, what I also hear is that um, they start to question your competency. They start to question your, you know, the attitude, the, uh, which you bring to work and, uh, and those are things which you know typically are performance related. So your performance ratings are the kind of lever or the uh, you know the control mechanism which the perpetrators use. You know, so yes. it's very easy to give. So one of the signs which you're also saying is that mismatched expectations. In fact, when we have a lot of um, uh, expectations from people and push that onto them. And then that is you know, overwhelming for people. So I think that's a very uh, crucial thing. But one more thing which you mentioned, and I think women in leadership positions, I think uh, who do they go to? Because they are also answerable to uh, the uh, stakeholders. And uh, so, and they, they might be suffering as well. So the people who are uh, at the leadership position because the organization had to meet the numbers of diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. So uh, so they had an HR head. I had an HR head who was sharing this with me that the boss didn't like women to work with women. And she was supposed to be the HR head and <laughs> trying to implement policy. Just imagine. And uh, so where does she go to? So the only place where she could cry was, you know, whenever we used to have a meeting in her office. So she used to, you know, have a cup of coffee and pour all these. So I said, why don't you just quit? You know, because uh, when you're dealing with a narcissist boss, I think uh, you have no chance. That is what I think 
I do not know whether um, the fight works, but uh, as as a women leader yourself, because you were in senior positions in HR, did you find that the stakeholder pressure also worked on your mind? Yes, for sure. That is that is always um, it's always at the back of your mind when you know that there's some issues you can't even bring forward because it's not palatable to senior management, right? You know what they want. You know what we have on paper, or in actual reality, because you've interacted with them, you know what they actually want. You know, you know they're not, they're not really, like there's sometimes I've been in meetings when I feel like I'm talking about a situation that makes them uncomfortable. And I feel that they just want me to stop. You know, they want me to, to stop talking about those things because it's making them uncomfortable. They want me to change the topic. And then sometimes they end up just changing the topic because it makes them uncomfortable. But you have to be comfortable with making people uncomfortable when you're talking about some certain things. Like John Lewis said, late John Lewis said, sometimes you look for good trouble. You look for good trouble when you feel you have an alternative. But for people that feel they don't have an alternative, they want to stay in that position regardless. And sometimes I ask them, like I ask myself several times, is it worth it? Is it worth the mental toll it's taking on you? At the end of the day, ask yourself, is it worth it? Because whether we like it or not, it's eating us on the inside. It's like cancer. It could start small and then start spreading. And before you know it, you're a totally different person. You're a totally different person. You don't recognize yourself anymore. You know, because you're, you're trying to impress. Sometimes we find ourselves trying to impress. And sometimes senior leadership just doesn't care. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> they just, they're, just, they, they're just concerned with the numbers. So yeah. any, and, but what they don't realize is that if you have a happy employee, that employee is much more productive than unhappy one. The unhappy one is just there checking the boxes. But the one that is happy and is in a, an environment that they can thrive is going to do a lot more. It's going to contribute a lot more to the bottom line in the long yeah. run than somebody that is unhappy. A happy employee will bend over backwards without even batting an eyelid. But an unhappy employee will complain about everything. There's a saying that a bad workman quarrels with his tools. You know, so what I tell them sometimes is, you don't realize this, what you're doing is eating up the bottom line. You may not be able to quantify it, but think about the fact that when somebody is happy, Obviously, the atmosphere is different. Things go better. But when an, em an employee is unhappy, their production decreases. But you don't realize because you're not quantifying, you're not crunching those numbers. Mm -hmm. But it does affect the bottom line. Yeah. So um, let me now move to the other you know, extreme where, you know, uh, like you quit, you quit the organization because uh, there were certain things which didn't agree with you. But I've heard uh, many times, you know, the exit process itself can be quite a traumatic experience. In fact, I think uh, the harassment and bullying during exit 
is another thing which we need to look at for organizations to consider because that is one thing which people normally just don't talk about it because we are just talking about people when they are in the organization but the exit and after you know sometimes i have seen bullying occurs long after the employee has left as well because you tend to malign the uh, person internally and spread the word so do you think that happened or how did you overcome if it didn't happen so okay so in the last employment i think i shared with you and najin what happened was the atmosphere was so toxic that it was ripe for constructive dismissal in hr there's something we call constructive dismissal that is when the boss or whoever the colleague is makes the organization so uncomfortable that the employee has no choice but to quit that was what happened to me in one situation the atmosphere was so unconducive it was so toxic i knew the lady i was reporting to just wanted me to quit she made it so uncomfortable for me she would humiliate me she would denigrate me she wouldn't invite me for meetings i was socially ostracized i mean check all the boxes were checked but guess what i did in that particular scenario i said to myself i am not going to quit this time i am going to wait until they fire me so that i can get a total package so she couldn't understand it. She did everything she could do. She harassed me. She bullied me. She denigrated me. She humiliated me. She wouldn't give me. She did everything she could do. She was cold. This was the person I told you long before social distancing was recommended as a means to stem the tide of the pandemic. She had always been socially distant. She would sit in her office you talk to her, she, it's like she wants to keep you at arm's length. This was long before COVID. She was already, already socially distant. She made it obvious she just did not want to work with me. So I made up my mind. I said to myself, okay, I know the day will come when she's going to call me to her office and say, and give me some story and say whatever. And that was, I waited. I knew she was so angry that I wasn't going to quit. She could see that I wasn't going to quit. I made up my mind, you don't want me here, I'm gonna stay here, I'm not gonna quit. You're gonna to have to send me away. And if you're gonna send me away, you're gonna give me a total package. If I quit, you'll probably just give me only vacation allowance. But if you send me away, you'll have no choice, but give me a total package. So that was what happened. So I was going to work every day, expecting to be fired. I was going to work every day, expecting to be fired. So the day she called me into the office, I was ready for her. I was ready. I was smiling, smiling at her. She was saying, oh, you know, we are restructuring. It, we, within me, I was like, yeah, you're restructuring. You're doing this, you're doing that. I was singing the song in my mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know where you're going because that was what I had planned. She thought she was in the driver's seat, but I had taken over the wheels without her knowing. I knew what I wanted. So eventually, she put the letter on the table and yeah, and so I left. 
So, uh, so let me ask you, uh, Femi, that what is critical for the person who is uh, undergoing uh, this kind of harassment? What can the person do? Because obviously organizations do have the intent. Some of the organizations actually uh, deliberately, in fact, I have had instances and uh, um, Zareen was also sharing in the chat that uh, where they do this, to just get the employees to leave because they are either not doing well as an organization uh, or you know even i have seen people who have been brought in specifically to fire the employees or to put pressure you know so or you are actually posted in roles or moved into roles of the you know under the harassing guy or the lady or the perpetrator just so that you get frustrated and leave so in your hr uh, history have you found this kind of a scenario because that's one which i feel that you know a change of roles giving people not so important roles is a form of harassment and bullying as well so yeah your move to roles for which you are possibly not competent or in the name of growth or uh, you know wider experience and uh, so on do you see that happening as well as a part of uh, harassing behavior or bullying yeah i have seen that happen a couple of times to other people so what they what they do is they set that person up for failure they know where the person's strength lies and they throw something that they know they're not comfortable with. They throw it at them. Over here, we had a politician. Her name was Anami Paul. She was the only person of color to ever head a political party. She was the only woman and the only person of color to head a political party. She resigned after the last elections. She said she broke a glass ceiling and she didn't realize that the, the, the glass was going to fall on her head. She said she was set up for failure. So what happens sometimes is, is, is it's a part of constructive dismissal because when you put somebody in a role that you know they're not going to thrive in, you're setting the person up for failure. You put that person in the role, you ensure that you, you don't give them the tools that they need. You ensure that you withhold information. You just make the atmosphere toxic unconducive for the person. That is constructive dismissal. The person is left with no choice but to resign. So sometimes I have seen that happen. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I have seen it happen. And then what happens sometimes is, you, I want to go back to something you said earlier on about um, exit interviews and things like that. So I've conducted a, a lot of exit interviews and you find people talking about the organization when they're leaving and then those exit interview forms are just put in a file somewhere. They are hardly referred to. You know, so what's the point of the exit interview? And then the person leaves the organization. And the, like you said, sometimes the harassment continues because the person is trying to get a job somewhere and they call the organization and then they give a bad reference. They're not supposed to do that. But sometimes I've heard of people that do that. That's terrible, so what, 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 yeah. What I've seen is sometimes somebody will come to me and say, Femi, I'm applying for this job. I can't afford to have my supervisor 
be my reference? Will you be my reference? I've seen that happen time and time again. Why is, where does that happen? The person doesn't trust the supervisor. So in fact, uh, I do not know whether you, uh, you have faced it, but I, 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 I have seen friends, especially uh, the women whom I work with, they had so many complaints, but uh, during the exit interview, they never said a word actually. They were like giving all sorts of positive feedback about the organization. And I was just surprised that, you know, why they were not putting it on record. And uh, I think the point which you made is that, you know, it is sometimes shocking. And, uh, you know, these were ladies who even I backed up in the office when I was working. And I felt like, uh, you know, hey, what is happening here? Because why is she not actually bringing that to the table? And uh, the person who interviewed, uh, you know, conducted the exit interview said that, hey, you were raising your voice against it, but look at her feedback. She was very happy here. She only went to find uh, another good job. And then, hey, I met her outside the office and said, what did you do? And exactly what you mentioned in the sense that uh, I didn't want to jeopardize my prospects with another company. Because if I am doing this here, then it is uh, going to affect me, especially when there is a referent. Yes. And uh, so do you think that is a kind of a kind of a double bind which people are in more often than not, you know, trying to be asserting themselves at the same time, being nice, and they have that kind of conflict happening all the time. Yeah, it, it happens a lot, Sri. It happens a lot. I have seen it happen a lot. You know, this person is having issues with their supervisor. But when it comes to the exit interview, they're not willing to put it down on paper just because of what I said earlier, because they know they're going to work somewhere else. The, the other organization is going to ask for a reference. Sometimes the, the organization will call in and whoever picks up the phone might be the one that they ask questions. You know, so it's, it's a real bind because some of them just make up their minds. It's like an opportunity cost. They say to themselves, okay, I'm leaving this organization. I want the next one. Whatever I'm going to do, that's going to get me to the next level is what I want. So they won't bother. And that's why sometimes these, these crimes are perpetrated. It's, it just goes on and on because nobody's held accountable. Nobody wants to report. It's still that fear of reprisal. The reprisal it's goes on not only when you're within, it happens even after you've left the organization sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a vicious circle because uh, you see when uh, in exit interviews, people uh, usually say good things about the organization because uh, they feel that if they are going to go to the other organization and that organization at some point comes to know that this person has raised voice against ABC, then this person is a threat to us as well in our organization. Yes. So, you know, like uh, so to prevent themselves from being seen as a rebellious person or, uh, you know, a person who would speak up, they just try to keep things uh, simple for themselves. Yeah. Right. This is this is very important because it's like it's it's so much in this world that we label people. 
Yeah. Right. If I have raised voice in an organization and I'm going to another organization and that organization comes to know that, oh, she was the person who stood there for that purpose or that reason or for herself or for some, she's a threat here also because she's going to create that thing here. The point yeah. is that if your culture is not what it is it her or for him as well, why would she or he do that? He, so people should be more kind of confident about uh, others and about themselves as well, about mm. their policies, about their culture, and then uh, welcome others without labeling them. Or, uh, you know, like, it, and I, I really don't get this uh, I thing about the referral thing. Somehow I am... I, I'm just not happy with, uh, you know, like organizations calling other organizations to check whether this person, you have the person's CV, you have everything, all the means to evaluate that person. So, and why would you need somebody else to endorse or to evaluate for you? In fact, uh, I, I just wanted to say this, uh, Nagin, very important point. I think for all those who quit and uh, are looking for another job, one experience which I had definitely uh, was that I went to another interview and I absolutely shared exactly the problems which happened. And this organization just trusted me for my story. And uh, they didn't go back and referral. So I was so happy and I said, hey, so the person who hired me said that I trust your story. And if I'm going to check back with people, it is the indication that we don't trust you. So right. it was so powerful that I did more than 100% for that organization. When I was working, I said, this company has trusted me and they didn't even bother because it was horrific. In fact, the kind of conflicts which I had in the previous organization, the bullying and the kind of allegations which were there were very, very severe uh, to the extent of saying, you know, the HR head actually, um, you know, uh, this is one thing which keeps bothering me even today. You know, when I moved into his cabin, he was caught in the act with his secretary and I happened to see that and uh, that's about it. And from then on, he was hounding and uh, Together, they actually hatched a plot and said that, hey, Sri, you are the one who did those kind of harassment to this lady. And then, uh, yeah, the lady actually supported and then it was like a humiliation of the highest level. And uh, I just went and shared the story uh, both at home and I was a young guy at the time and then I didn't know, I just was in tears, let me tell you. Uh, and I went back and I spoke to my family. They said, hey, the organization doesn't deserve you if they behave this way. So that gave me the confidence. This organization hired me and I told them exactly the story which happened and they didn't never bother. So I, 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 there's an important point which you made that you know when you're going to a company and having this conversation, I think it is an important thing for every young lady or a man who is going to interview to also check whether during the course of interview the conversation should give a kind of trust 
about the organization. If you are having questions leveled at you or at, you know, thrown at you, which are somehow trying to indicate that this organization suspects your CV, I think it is time to actually raise the red flag because I think that's an important sign as well, even before you join organizations. You know, it's, it's a different thing once you get in, you get the three months to look at how it is going and then you, you know, suffer through the motions because you need the job badly. But I think- uh, yeah, And I uh, think, I, I, yeah, and I think we will take a little uh, step back and uh, we'll talk about like why, how can we improve the culture that that's the whole uh, thing, you know, when people, because bullying and harassment is real, it happens, but how can we just, uh, you know, reduce it? Elimination is something I don't think it happening in my lifetime, but at least I, I have the hope that I can see it reduced to a certain level from what it is right now. So oh, I personally feel that now companies have started with this, there's a whole culture going around uh, forming the ERGs, which is employee resource groups. And companies should leverage those ERGs to understand what is happening with those groups because ERGs are formed as like we, uh, the minorities are forming ERGs, right? And the com companies, it's like the black group, the LGBT community and, uh, or even, uh, you know, like people from the same country but have different approaches. So ERGs are formed HR should leverage that. ERGs should not be formed to celebrate a black day or you know some special day for that uh, ERG or LGBT day or something like that. But they should actually have uh, real conversations with the ERG members because those members are representing the minority groups of the company. So the HR should sit and have the difficult conversations, the critical conversations with those ERG members to understand what those people are thinking, what are the challenges they are facing within the organization, and then try to tweak the policy and implement genuinely. Because I don't expect, for example, I don't I may not be aware of the challenges or the feelings that somebody from LGBT community is feeling in the company. But, and I may be taking decisions without even knowing that I'm hurting them because I don't know them. I don't know the feelings. I don't know what is going inside their mind, how they're feeling, what is their uh, definition of success and growth in an organization. So I need to sit with them, have that dialogue and understanding so that I can improve. Now, when companies have started forming, organizations have started forming ERGs, and it has become a real big thing in companies now. Since diversity and inclusion have taken a huge, um, you know, step forward, I personally feel that they should they should use ERGs, at, leverage ERGs, and then try to understand what the actual problems are. Talk about it. It just not make decisions without knowing because that's that's a sin that's a crime that you are doing just saying that we didn't know no you had the opportunity to know and you always have the opportunity to know and understand others use that so uh, just switching back because see if we look at again bringing back the control part of it because you know what is controllable is how you 
respond to situations because you know what so much of talk which happens about organizations leadership needs to do that the nation needs to do that the culture has to be changed but i think it starts with one individual one step at a time mm-hmm. and uh, i think if we need to change the narrative from uh, you know just the global perspective to what can i do to bring about that difference i think enough talk about you know because i've been hearing this for the last 10 years and then uh, i say okay organizations need to do that the leadership needs to do this the policies need to be changed the nation has to work towards it globally we have to raise a voice the damn thing doesn't seem to change and we every year we seem to have the same conversation so i am just trying to say hey femi if i have to ask you a question what can i do to make a difference to start with in my life and that will be very important especially for young women women of color or any woman who's getting into the corporate world what are those signs which they need to look at what do they need to do to ensure that they are safe and they grow up in their career that's very important because there's no point in you know taking a global debate here uh, i always felt that you know it has to start from oneself and the controllables and what i do i say and i think really makes a difference so what do you have to say for young women migrant women black women who are just getting into the corporate world what do they need to do to ensure that they remain safe and they don't have the to repeat the same story which femi is stating today or all of us are sharing here in the forum we don't have to be 10 years later listening to the same story a different person a different femi sitting in front and saying the same thing again and again so do you have any specific things which you did because you moved and also created a successful uh, career a business for yourself so what do you have to say to young people who are getting into the corporate world you know it's it's very important what i always tell myself is to thine own self be true be true make sure what's going on in your head and in your heart are aligned let there be an alignment ask yourself some certain questions before you go into an organization do your research i know it's difficult sometimes when you're looking for a job you just want a job but do your research and when you get into that organization even find out if they actually live their values do their values align with yours do their values align with what they have on paper if you begin to experience that conflict that may not be the right place for you it just may not be the right place and i know that sometimes you you're like i don't want to leave this job find out if you actually enjoy working in that place practice self care you see on the plane they tell you put on your own mask first before you help somebody else so you have to practice self care when i was going through all this you know my faith in god was strengthened and what i was hearing was you know when you plant a seed sometimes you have to add some dirt to that seed before it grows so what i went through was part of the dirt that i needed to grow 
So sometimes that dirt is not altogether a bad thing. Sometimes it's working in you something because I made up my mind going through that experience, I would never treat another human being the way I was treated. And I will speak up when I see that injustice being done. So I turned that pain into a purpose. That is my purpose today. That is what I tell people. I'm like, you were created for a purpose. Find out what that purpose is and run with it. Because if you don't find that purpose, you're going to always have that sense of dissatisfaction. Until you plug in, you'll feel like a square peg in a round hole. You need to find your place and occupy that space. If you, whatever faith you believe in, pray for, for guidance, pray for direction, invest in yourself. You see, because when you invest in yourself, it builds your confidence. When I talk to people, they're like, Femi, where do you get your confidence from? I've I must have invested in myself without even knowing. Everything I went through was part of my journey. It was part, it made me who I am today. Because now I see things through a different lens. If I hadn't gone through harassment and somebody is explaining harassment to me, I wouldn't understand what the person is talking about. But when they talk to me now in my one-on-one -on -one sessions, I tell them, I know exactly what you're talking about. I can identify with that. Evaluate where you are. Ask yourself if you're in the right place. If you're not in the right place, start to make a move. Trust me, you don't want to stay longer. You don't want to spend a minute longer in the wrong position. You don't want to spend a minute longer in the wrong company. Because in the long run, you may think it's putting food on your table, but it's taking its toll here. It's taking its toll. And once your, men once your mental health starts to decline, it's difficult to get it back on track. So why would you want to forego that because of a job? If you find you're being harassed, make sure you're talking to somebody. Make sure you get your docs in a row. Ask yourself some questions. Is this what I want to be doing? Ask yourself, what are you passionate about? Ask yourself, somebody said to me the other day, Femi, I went for a baby shower. I took cookies for this baby shower. I just took it as a gift. And people loved those cookies. So guess what? Now she's adding cookies to what she does. She's starting off her entrepreneurship journey, making cookies. So what is it that you're good at? What is it that you enjoy doing? What is it that you're passionate about? It might just not be that job. That job may not be bringing you the fulfillment you desire. You might have a desire, a thirst on your inside that you cannot point until you do that whatever it is. You might be carrying a baby, not a physical baby this time, but you might be carrying something on your inside that needs to be birthed. You have a vision on your inside and you're like, oh, I don't have the phone, start it. Whatever it is, are you good at cooking? Are you good at singing? Whatever it is, put that thing to use. Sow it as a seed and it's going to thrive. It's going to grow. Don't give up. Because throughout my journey, that was something I kept telling myself, I will not give up. And then don't despise small beginnings. Whatever it is that you, what do you have in your hand? What are you good at? What are you passionate about? Turn it into something. Don't despise small beginnings, start small and it's going to grow. 
Amazon started in Jeff Bezos' basement. See what it is today. And there's so many people that have stories like that. You don't have to have all the money in the world to start. Just start. It may not be for everybody. Some people might be cut out to work in an office. And if you're working in an office, you are thriving in that, please keep going. Keep going. You're a career woman. You want to build up your career. Just make sure you invest in yourself. Do a lot of self-investment. Do a, a lot of reflection. No, just to your own self be true. What is it that you like? What is it that you do not like? What is your purpose? Until you find that purpose, you might not find fulfillment. I feel like I'm repeating myself because I want somebody out there to hear me. Hear me. Get to that point. It's okay when you get, when you get to a, an intersection. You don't rush through an intersection. You get to the intersection. The, the traffic light is blinking red. You stop. It's okay for you to stop. It's okay for you to reset. You can reset. You can start again. You can begin again. If you don't like what you're doing, you can begin again. Never give up hope. Shine because stars are meant to shine. That's just what I'll have to say to, to people out there. Absolutely. In fact, uh, that was really uh, inspirational, I can say, Femi, because uh, one thing uh, which uh, people fail to do more often is to invest in themselves, the self-care. In fact, we think that once we've got the job, that's it. And then we don't try to you know, continuously improve. And uh, we just fall behind in the race. Even uh, Usain Bolt had to train, though he was the fastest man. Uh, and, uh, but he couldn't rest on his laurels. You know? mm -hmm. So he, he trained and trained and trained and uh, he could make it. And he made his name because he invested in himself. Yeah. and self-care and that's one thing which uh, people definitely I think all the young people I think that was a fantastic advice you know because when you work with people that's what you want to uh, tell them that you know don't just just because you've got the job and you're feeling that high that hey I got my first job and that's about it and then we forget till it starts to hit you yeah. And then you say, hey, I need to just now upskill myself and uh, so more. So I think uh, that's a huge takeaway if we have to talk about uh, today's, you know, if you have to look at it, investing in yourself, self-care, uh, self-worth, you know, building your self-esteem, investing in that, you know, because it's not just talking, it, you need to act on it. And I think what we are also hearing you say is believe. And it starts with believing in yourself yeah. and uh, look inwards. In fact, uh, what you always said, uh, and in fact, when I had a chat with you earlier before inviting you to the show, Femi, you said that you started to talk to yourself, yes. confront the reality, mm -hmm. see the mirror, in fact, and see yourself in the mirror, not some other person, you know, so yeah. you can't cheat yourself. You know, what I hear from what you say is we can wear masks and cheat the entire world but you just cannot cheat yourself so when you face up to the mirror today morning tomorrow morning just look at yourself and see who you are and what you have become and what you want to be and uh, i think the destination has to be clear the purpose which you talked about and i think what powerfully you also mentioned is 
in believing that we are here for a purpose. Yes. And the example which you gave in terms of the dirt, which is required for the seed to grow. I think that was really, uh, I quite liked it myself on the show because uh, yeah, all of us do, you, you cannot have a clean run. You still get dust as we move along. And uh, I think it's part of the process of growing. And I think uh, uh, that is one thing which uh, probably we need to uh, keep telling our young people, keep encouraging them, people to look for signs of uh, bullying and harassment, which we talked about. Obviously the 90 minutes is just not enough. This is such a topic where uh, I think there's so much to talk about for me. And I, I uh, really uh, enjoyed every bit of it. And thanks very much for um, the uh, rest of the group who came in and, you know, Judy uh, came in slightly later, but thank you very much for your support. And it was really kind of you to have come. And I think I'm so delighted to- Thanks, have Yeah, it was yeah, really I, a pleasure. Yeah, can I just say one thing as I'm here because sure. um, I know, sorry, I arrived late. I actually, I just saw it on my um, email. So hello yeah. to everyone and all the speakers um, and screen everything is actually wonderful. And it's wonderful to have a forum like this to go. And I think it's very important as you, you've identified it, self-growth is so important. And if we could get it out there to students in school to teach before you go anywhere, to have these skills of self-care and to recognize there are people in the world who have an aggressive behavior pattern and you do need skills and you are going to meet them. And it is a shame when you go in in your career, because I'm sure it happened to all of us, where we invested our time, we invested our energy, our education, our training, our years of our life to this job and then to be confronted by very inappropriate behavior. So uh, I was saying this to Zareen yesterday that it's a shame that we have to, because we've never probably experienced it before, we don't have the awareness of how to express it. It goes on too long for us. And then it brings us down this negative path that we shouldn't have been down in the first place. And I say this last thing is the first point of contact in every workplace should be trustworthy. And this to me is the big um, lack, the big fault, the big, if when we've all reported, we've all disclosed and we feel so guilty disclosing it because we don't want to think anything bad of anybody. And we go to the first point of contact that we're told we trust are going to support us and they let us down. And this is the crucial point that the, there must be a dedicated person in every organization that we can trust and it would eliminate all this bullying as far as I'm concerned. So I just wanted to say that and it's lovely Wonderful. meeting everybody. Yeah. Thank you. Pleasure, Judy. Thank you very much for, because had some points also very interesting. And now that we've, uh, you know, it's a launch situation. So uh, uh, if I may request Vikas also to mention uh, a few points. Thank you very much, Vikas, because he mentioned some really interesting points here. And uh, thank you for being on the show and uh, showing your support, Vikas. So go on. Now, uh, can you hear me? Yes, of course. Yeah, no, I, I, I was uh, hearing this and in between I got disconnected, unfortunately, but Femi has been like quite open and, and she she has been emotionally and, and, and you know, experience-wise involved into this situation. And 
it sounded very challenging right now i'm i'm in finland i'm from india and and you know in the nordics there is a term about discrimination basically, basically there's no bullying here but there's discrimination which is and it is called systematic discrimination that means they'll first look at your name for then where you're from and things like that uh but but you know i i have been through this experience uh in india and also here like maybe situations are different cultures are different and and people are different but but i i'm like constantly trying to look at the positive side of the every negative side because eventually it's our life it's not the life of the bully we cannot they they if we are letting somebody ride on our backs that means that problem is with us not with them and sometimes like femi also mentioned before and and zareen and uh, nagin also mentioned about like job insecurities and which which forces us sort of to keep accepting this kind of behavior and in certain situation like judy just mentioned we need to have somebody we can confront to in the organization and this is on us when we are applying for the company like i can give you a very small example uh, that when i'm applying to a finnish company i look at their linkedin profile and if i see no faces of color or other countries i don't apply there so i know that there will be a very low possibility for me to get even a call for an interview let alone get the job and it is probably very true it has happened and i have seen this pattern so you need to find people from the organization talk to them and and when you have experienced something sharing that experience with other people and like like we are sharing this and getting to know what what others have done not just in that situation but after that situation how they have come stronger and and what what kind of uh, forces they have like created on the companies like during the interview you should you have the right to ask what what is your code of conduct in case of discrimination bullying you will know right then and there because you will probably not be interviewed by one person there should be a person your manager the hiring manager your hr manager and somebody random from the organization probably then you if you don't feel comfortable with their answers you know this is not the right place for you i mean we have to take control of our life and and of course like judy just mentioned your own well-being you cannot allow this to happen and hurt you psychologically and then reflect on your physical and your family and your your friends and everybody gets to know like oh, okay this is like a cancer you know it's happening inside and and stress is like a termite it, you can't see it from outside it 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 is eating you from inside making you weak every time so i i i just wanted to share these things that you know we talk about a lot of negative things femi please don't misunderstand me but we really need to emphasize on the positive sides like what is the result outcome of the bullying you know how you came up to be a stronger woman how you became a better person how you created this opportunity to support other women and men and created this environment of knowledge and and acceptance that you know confront this situation because you don't deserve this and this is not the end of the world you know we we are so insecure and 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 
we should not allow this to continue in, in that sense. Absolutely. In fact, uh, thanks for bringing that perspective. And that is one thing which I think I learned from, from my interactions with Femi as well, uh, that uh, to be strong and take charge. In fact, uh, so we need to continue the conversation because one is to look at the signs of uh, bullying and harassment because many times it is so subtle like when you shared uh, a very interesting tip which you mentioned like just look at the profile and you know where you are heading in just yeah. do this because you know what many times people are not even aware that they are getting into these kind of discriminatory behavior so sensitization is an important thing we will continue to have this conversation and uh, very interesting perspective because and uh, really enjoyed listening to that you know, I would say a very calm uh, voice to close, coming to the close, but I, I would not be doing justice if uh, I do not give even Angela an opportunity. She's been uh, intently listening and having some points. And then Zareen, of course, my dear friend. So uh, let's anyway have the launch conversation. Thanks, Vikas, for uh, bringing in that perspective. It's really invaluable. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Angela, over to you. Let us uh, listen to your voice as well, not just the text message. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Femi, for all you, all you shared. I really, most of what you shared was, resonates with me. I am an immigrant. I came here in 2014. I'm a medical doctor with a master of sciences in clinical epidemiology. I'm a PhD. I've been teaching for over 20 years in the master programs back in my country. And I came to this country wanting to work in the same fields I was working before. I was a researcher and a scientist and I came here just um, as part of a reunification family um, program. Um, and I started applying and all the, uh, the same things <laughs> happened. It was really hard. Um, but I learned a lot of things in that um, pathway. I remember my first job was something that helps me forever. <laughs> it's, it's kind of, uh, <clears throat> I feel <laughs> it's okay. So I, I worked in a uh, bra boutique. That was my very first job. And I accepted that job. And it was great. I enjoyed um, talking to women about health issues, giving them education. And I learned from myself something I had never learned <laughs> back in my country. I finally learned what was my real size. <laughs> and I learned that more than 90% of women don't know what is their real size. <laughs> you know, so that was great for me. And then finally, I found what I thought it was my um, dream job here. And I was hired in a company where I was supposed to, well, I applied for a supervisory position um, in the field that I was expert, not only in my country, but I was an international expert. However, um, I was the advice that I got from someone there, from one of the leaders was, hey, you know what? If you're going to do epidemiology in the United States, you better know uh, how epidemiology is applied here before you get that position as a supervisor. And I was like, well, I think epidemiology works everywhere the same way. But anyways, yes, I, I think this is a good advice. I definitely will learn first how it is here. So I was hired in a, um, in a, 
staff position as epidemiologist and I was working there for a while. I um, definitely learned a lot of things and I think I had the opportunity to share with someone, with older people, but I never was moved from that position until I finally, um, there was no more money to pay for my, <laughs> even though there was a need for more people that really knew about this. So um, I came to the director and I was telling him, you know, how are you going to let go someone that is expert in this area from this institution that is specifically focused on these um, topics? And well, I got another uh, position and I was in that group. It was um, hard because the first time you have the opportunity to contribute something that is on your field, you get um, to confront one of the leaders that it's not from the field, but yes. And that was a big mistake. Yeah. Especially coming from a person that is an immigrant and is, um, you know, is is probably it was perceived like um, you are challenging me, and I'm the leader. So you made a big mistake, and that mistake will cost you. And I went through the same things that you just mentioned here, so I will not go any longer on that. I was. Um, laid off at some point in 2018, suddenly, surprisingly, um, after going through some of those strategies, you know, like um, you won't get um, that much like assignments, you will just be jumped over. Sometimes there will be um, a weird evaluation of performance that never happened before. But they will be covering that, that type of um, evaluation. And then you get um, some things that were uh, of your job that were omitted from that evaluation. And then you are like, what is going on? <laughs> and then you get this notice from um, this same person telling you, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, this special program is closing and we had to um, lay off a number of people. And unfortunately, your position is one of those that is going to be closed. Then you get um, another group of people that really do understand um, that this is just, you know, like, this is crazy what they're doing. They're laying off a person that is one of the, I mean, they have, you know, and this, you mentioned something else is that they use your expertise and then someone else get the credits. And that's uh, it's so often, it happens so often. And then you have that. And then fi finally I got in another um, group. I was enjoying the work, but um, the thing continued. I applied for um, older positions because I wanted to continue the work I love. Uh, I am passionate about working with communities and you know, public health is for me one of the um, uh, revolutions. And I did find something very positive out of everything that happened to me. That's, and it's that's the fact really that I was wonderful. just postponing that baby <laughs> that was about to be born. And it was just jumping inside of me and saying, hey, let me go out. What are you doing? You're just, you're just, 
um, wasting your time here. And that is how I came to my field. And I finally quit my job. I feel that I was finally facing the reality of my passion, my real passion. And that is exactly what I'm doing right now. I'm growing my business and I am really happy having done that. Absolutely. Finally. Thank you so much, Angela. Actually, uh, it's such an interesting, uh, yeah, uh, such an interesting conversation. Uh, it keeps extending the time and uh, we are 30 yeah, minutes. I just want to say, so, I just want to say something to Vikas, you know, yeah. I just want to say just one thing. Um, through it all, because what happened was I was growing. Like I said, the dirt that was thrown at me helped me to grow. The same way you put dirt in the ground when you're growing a plant. So I have found my place now. I have my own HR consulting firm and I also have another business. So through it all, I have been able to find my place. I have been able to birth my consulting firm and birth my other business. So Absolutely. I just wanted to add that. So it's not all bad. It's not all bad. <laughs> so, so Femi, I, I think you can say bullying is the best thing that ever happened to you. <laughs> Good one. Absolutely. Well, uh, that's, that's a nice thing. Yes. Uh, not, not, a, not uh, uh, because uh, that's a good one, but uh, not all are Femi and uh, there are many who fall by the wayside and uh, really suffer. Yeah. But I think uh, some of the important points uh, which... Uh, came through. And I think uh, one thing which we are focused on uh, um, is in terms of looking at addressing it much, much earlier than yes. what we are talking about, you know, because this is one thing which at the critical dialogue, I keep saying that, you know, it's much more difficult and expensive to do the repair job. In fact, we need to actually address and sensitize people in schools teachers need to be uh, sensitized to grooming. Parents need to teach children. In fact, in the last uh, episode, uh, Nagin had shared the same thing that, you know, we sometimes give a kind of a picture of the world, like, you know, you are the fairy and you are going to be, that's all nice, but you know what? The cognitive dissonance which happens as a result of that for the child, when they are put into this world, it's no longer a fairy tale, you know. So the sensitization needs to happen in school. So we need to actually, uh, many times the conversation on workplace harassment and bullying, I think we should start actually talking about harassment and bullying, more noise to be made in schools with teachers. And in fact, we are doing that, in fact, uh, very actively uh, with the critical dialogue. My purpose is, Yes, there is a need for repair, but that's more expensive. But I'm looking at being more proactive because we are looking at 20 years, 30 years from now. So the 30 year old who is getting into the corporate world need to be groomed. As Femi, you said, the seed has to be given the right amount of soil, the kind of watering, the nurturing, the love, but more importantly, sensitization. Otherwise, we are going to have this conversation forever. Judy had brought in that point definitely, and thank you very much, because parents, teachers, children in school need to be addressed. And at least I know for sure, wherever I have addressed this with parents and children in schools, it's really given fantastic benefits. In fact, I, I find that in 30 years of consulting uh, work with organizations, I find that 
people who are already conditioned and battered and bruised, they really find it difficult to overcome, no matter how much of motivational talk. I think we need to start very early and all of us have a responsibility. All of us, and we start as parents, as elders, as uh, when I say parents, I'm not just saying the biological parents, elders who are caregivers around us and we are caregivers to young around us. And we have a great responsibility to groom the uh, children, sensitized teachers, parents, even before we unleash these uh, young minds onto the world. So uh, that is one thing I think uh, I do not want to keep stretching. Uh, I know that Zareen uh, will be very angry at me, but we will get back to more of this discussion. Uh, she's very passionate. I must say that we are working together here in India as well. And uh, I look forward to your continued support in today's launch. Today, it really went long. In fact, it is 38 minutes, Nagin, uh, more than the time, but I think uh, we were all passionate. And I think the technical glitch really helped uh, <laughs> because we came on Zoom and uh, not on the LinkedIn Live listening to one. I think we need to take that as a feedback and I will try to make it more interactive uh, this way. I think that is, a, I think the divine uh, intervention here for all of yeah. us saying that, hey, we need to start the launch need not be one sided. We need those interactions and uh, that's so wonderful. And uh, we will continue this uh, discussions in the series because I need uh, all of your support because we are running this series on workplace harassment and bullying. Anything which you can do to support us and you can reach out to me or uh, at the critical dialogue or Femi at she has a consulting firm Shalom, Shalom Consulting. She will share it uh, uh, in the text along with uh, all the summary briefs. We can reach out to Nagin for what it is and obviously the rest of the group. Uh, please feel free and continue to bring in your thoughts because what I'm looking at with the critical dialogue we can launch for the benefit of everyone is uh, that if you have an issue to talk about, if you want the difficult conversation, if you look at what I mean by the critical dialogue, is those difficult conversations we often fail to bring it to the table. Those which we keep it inside of us and we are like burning inside, carrying all this garbage. The whole purpose and vision of the critical dialogue is to bring those difficult conversations. So I would encourage all my lovely friends who have joined and been there for such a long time on a weekend show in the morning for most of you. For us, it is night here in India, uh, but thanks very much for uh, being here, giving your voice, lending your voice, and absolutely a delight to have you all here. And thank you Femi for uh, the passionate, uh, uh, sharing of your experiences. We love having you always in the show. Nagin for uh, being uh, the support uh, always and bringing her perspective. And yeah, we will shortly be having, I'm sure that uh, Zareen and I are going to also come in and uh, you know address these issues going forward because we have a conversation. So Zareen, um, so we will have to sign off. 
and uh, thanks very much once again you know thank you very much have a great day and a great weekend I, sorry Sri, i just want to say thank you to everybody sorry i couldn't respond to the chat but i will try my best to get in touch with you okay please thank you so thank much thank you everybody. thank you so much and femi i'm loving the print that you are wearing so oh, thank you it, it is beautiful yeah. It's Femi, Femi, has a, Femi will share her shop details as well. So she has some oh, wow. wonderful prints, you know, so she's not just a consultant helping people in human resource uh, consulting, but she also has a uh, shop which she's bringing the African culture to her host mm -hmm. country. And uh, that's giving us uh, uh, her uh, renewed energy. So I think that's an uh, inspiration uh, for all of us as well. Wonderful print. So go ahead and share it with everyone. Thank you ship so, internationally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she is. Yes. She is. She yes. is. Yeah, Angela, we all need to have one, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I love it. All right. Yeah, I ship from I ship here. I ship from Canada. I'll put the link in the chat. Okay. Okay. Great. Thank yeah. you. I'm just saying, could we all connect on LinkedIn? Yes, of course. Yeah. We will. Yes. Um, we must, we must. And this is uh, one voice which really spent a lot of time. And we seem to have some good ideas around uh, uh, how to deal with it. And I think we should not lose the momentum. All of us need to continue the conversation and I'll be delighted. And we will all uh, connect on LinkedIn and continue the conversation. Looking forward, Judy. Thank you, Thank very, you very much for the suggestion. Thank you so much. Love Thank you so you. much, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye -bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye, Judy. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye, Christina. Bye, everybody. Yes.